Hello, all you leadership educators out there, and welcome back to Real Leadership for Real People, the NASPA SLPKC podcast, where we amplify true stories of leadership education. I'm your host, Kathy Guthrie, and I serve as a faculty member in the Higher Education Program at Florida State University. And I'm your co-host, V. Chinu, Assistant Professor of Organizational and Community Leadership at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. On today's episode, we're joined by Jessica Chung and Val Lutran, who will be sharing their thoughts on Asian American student leadership learning. But first, let's do a quick check-in on what's been on our minds lately. Kathy, has anything in particular been taking up your attention recently? Oh my goodness. So as we're recording this, the Olympics are going on. And so for the listeners out there, this is where my head is. Um, yesterday, Simone Biles uh, announced, was that yesterday? B, was that yesterday? Okay, he's shaking his head. Yes, time is, I don't know where time is going lately, but she, you know, she stepped back from the team event in gymnastics. And um, so I've been thinking a lot about mental health and self-care and how this is something that has been in conversation, not only these last 18 months, but for a long while in higher education and especially in thinking about student leaders and how we need to be thinking about this more. And um, so I've just been in deep reflection about that personally, about self-care actually in the last, really in the last month, big time. But um, that has been definitely something I'm thinking about. What about you, V? I just yesterday came back uh, from a trip from Florida uh, where I was visiting with my parents um, for a very brief uh, period of time. But while I was there, I was helping them do some things around the house and uh, we, we got in my family, we have strange conversations over the dinner table. We started talking about student loan debt. Um, and it, for some reason, that conversation got me thinking about uh, generativity and legacy and kind of what the investments my ancestors have made for me to not have to struggle in the way that they've struggled and how while I intend it to be or not, one of my goals is to make a world where other people don't have to struggle the way I have so that we can get further faster. And when we were talking about student loan debt, we were really talking about student loan forgiveness and how there's this cadre of people who believe student loan, even if you have your student loans paid off, it could or should still be forgiven for people who currently owe. And there's another group of people that say, well, no, I had to suffer through the repayment process. Therefore, everyone else should at the same time. And so as we were having this discussion, I thought about what a privilege it was to take out student loans in the first place, because I had plenty of ancestors who didn't even have access to that as a form of a pathway to higher education. And even though I don't have nearly as much as others might, I still support student loan forgiveness because other people shouldn't have to struggle. Imagine if other people didn't have to struggle the way I struggled, how much further they could have gotten without that holding them back. So that was just yeah. uh, conversation that we had that got like in it so while you might have been thinking about something like hyper global I was really thinking about something hyper local and with my own family and kind of how it relates to uh, our legacy and what we want to be able to leave behind well and absolutely and how those <laughs> that flows right and how we um, navigate our spaces and our places and so I, I think that is perfect to jump into today's topic right the navigation and how are we um, kind of in this space and world together. And so thank you. Welcome to our guests, Jessica. Jessica Chung, she is the Curriculum and Instruction Coordinator for the Undergraduate Minor at the University of Minnesota. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm just honored to be asked. 
Oh, yeah. Jessica, you know, we have deep love for you and your um, contributions. And so just being able to share this virtual space with you is incredible. And Val Lutran, she's in the middle of orientation season. Um, She's the coordinator for orientation, transition and parent programs at the University of Buffalo. And um, it's a privilege and an honor to have you here, Val. Thank you for joining us. Of course, thanks for having me. As soon as y'all emailed me and Jessica, we could not contain our excitement, truly. So excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate you joining us. And we can't wait to hear some of your really deep intellectual and creative thoughts. But before we get to any of that, um, we've prepared a few questions to help our audience get to know you a little bit better. Um, your responses to these questions don't have to be lengthy, but they will help us get a little bit of a sneak peek into your into your lives. Uh, are you are you ready to get started? All right, they both look like they're ready to get started. Um, so e- either one of you can answer this in, these in any order. Um, but first, we'd like to know what song do you love to sing in the car when you're all by yourself? Okay, so. Um, I used to sing acapella in school and I live with roommate and it's like, I, I, I want to be like, so, uh, respectful of the sound that I'm making in the house. So the car is like my escape for this, but my number one favorite song right now on my cars to sing, uh, songs to sing to in the car playlist is, um, I am here by Cynthia Erivo from the, uh, play or musical, the color purple. It just it's such an empowering song and you you let it go and it just is really an amazing experience. Mine is nowhere near as profound. I was going to say All Star by Smash Mouth um, from the hit movie Shrek that just celebrated its 20th anniversary. So that's me. I love it. I love it. <laughs> that is wonderful. So this question, if you could only eat one food or meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, Mine is either, you asked for one, I'm giving you two, either vegan mac and cheese or ganjua, which is a Viet soup dish that is spicy and sour. And my mom makes it really, really well. Oh my God, that's such a good answer. I might have to change. Oh, that is so good. My mom also makes amazing control and I've tried. I like wrote down all the ingredients, but you know, my mom is like, oh yeah, you just, it's so easy. You just put these things in there. And then she starts listing like eight different things and all this preparation. That is excellent. And I would also add um, lo mein. I could eat lo mein all day, all kinds, every day. All right. Yeah. I, I've definitely got some things to add to my list the next time I go out to eat. Uh, last icebreaker question, who or what uh, first sparked your interest in leadership? Again, I'll go first. Um, probably a combination of my mom. And I think really just being born a Capricorn feels instilled, being driven to lead in those ways. So Please tell me you're a Virgo rising because that would be incredible. I am actually a Pisces rising. And I think that is why I cry often. Such a dreamer. I love that. Um, Gosh, you know, when I think about, if you're asking about leadership, like in terms of creating influence over your immediate area, I think it just was something that I was, I just care a lot about a lot of things. And so I, I, I always thought like, oh, if not me, then who? 
um, doing clubs in high school. But if you're talking about like leadership ed in general, um, there's a professional, his name is Aaron Osmondson at the University of Minnesota. And he really connected me with a lot of deeper personal development in terms of leadership education. And that started me on the path to where I am now at the University of Minnesota Leadership Minor. Oh, wonderful. That That is so incredible to set context for what we're talking about today, right? And so thank you for sharing the fun ones about the songs to the food to you know, who or what sparked that interest in leadership. And so for context, the two of you co-authored a chapter in the recently published um, Shifting the Mindset, Socially Just Leadership Education. And so can you briefly summarize your chapter for us to give the listeners a sense of what they can expect when they read your piece? Sure. I will try to keep this brief and give me some nonverbals if it is not working. So I think our main points were really thinking about how often Asian Americans, um, Pacific Islanders, and Desi Americans are often ignored in the Black-White racial binary conversation that we have in America. So kind of really breaking down the monolith of Asian Americans do have very different experiences depending on their ethnic backgrounds or their immigration status or gender and all of those things. So it was a lot of parsing out the details and dismantling the monolith and just saying, hey, we're here and deserve to be included in this conversation too. Um, specifically towards leadership and thinking about how traditional Asian values tend to contradict traditional Western values of leadership. So lots of emphasis on community versus independence or harmony versus assertiveness, etc. And then we kind of wrap up using the domains of culturally relevant leadership learning to guide the recommendations that we provided for educators. So thinking about identity of reframing leadership to understand those traditional Asian values and highlighting API leaders. Capacity, so acknowledging some of those differences in racial or ethnic identity salience, knowing that for some Asian American students, their racial identity is a lot less salient than you might see in students who are Black or Latinx. So acknowledging that too. And finally, efficacy. So reframing and really celebrating leader behaviors like relationship building, listening, consensus building, making sure that those are included in rubrics that we create or things that we celebrate in our students. I think I went over 30 seconds, but hopefully that was concise enough. <laughs> Girl, you nailed it. Yeah, that's really great. Jessica, was there anything you wanted to add? You were good then? Okay, good. So I, we definitely want to thank you uh, once again for your contributions to the book. Uh, and having read over your chapter a number of times in the process, every time I looked at it, I gained a new appreciation for the nuance and the thoughtfulness and the care and the concern that went into your writing. Because I think when, when people read this chapter, they will definitely get a decently clear sense of who you are as people, because you took the time to name that positionality for what it was. And since your chapter is one that provides such a great example of that, I was hoping you could maybe share a little bit more about how your lived experiences, whether these were professional experiences, personal experiences, experiences in relationship with others, have shaped your understanding of leadership and the ways in which leadership gets practiced. I think a lot of that was sparked by our personal experiences. I know that for me, um, being a leader is not something that's really expressed toward young Asian women. And at least in my household, it just wasn't a thing. And um, I know that we are both the children of immigrants. 
So that positions us in a unique way. We're much closer to that cultural background than maybe some others are. And so when I think about my journey with leadership, there were so many times where I would never describe myself that way. And I know so many students now who would never describe themselves that way. And I think that's what really sparked that for me was even as I was becoming a teacher, even though I had been training, I'd been observing I and co-teaching, I still never really took on that identity because I, I just didn't see myself. I was like, oh, I feel like a fraud because I don't con conform to these definitions of what this looked like, because that's all that had been modeled to me. And so I think a lot of this interest was to bring some attention to these histories that even I had no idea about in terms of leadership in, from the Asian lens for all these years. So it was, it was also just a really great opportunity to work with someone else on figuring out that in-between who understands that in-between feeling. And I hope it affirms some people and illuminates for others. Love that. Agree to all of the above. And Jessica kind of mentioned being the children of immigrants. And I think that really informed my understanding of leadership and leadership practice. So my parents had different immigration stories. One came to the US as a refugee and the other came um, first to Norway and then to the US as an immigrant. So when we think about immigration by choice or by circumstance, both of those had different influences on my upbringing. So I think I was raised in a household where I was told, this is the land of opportunity. We worked really hard for you to get here. So anything you want, you go for it and you get it. So I think growing up, it was instilled in me that you can be a leader and you can do these things. And it wasn't until I found myself in a lot of predominantly white spaces where I was looking for leadership opportunities and not getting them that I had to start, had to start grappling with, how are others perceiving me? And where does that come from? And really breaking down the fact that maybe I am qualified, but people aren't seeing me as qualified because I don't look like what a leader looks like to them. So I think it was a lot of dissonance in my college years, uh, specifically in my sorority, which was a predominantly white sorority on a predominantly white campus. It was in Connecticut. So um, different experience there. But I think that really helped me understand positional authority. So getting an executive board position, versus being able to influence from the group. And what does the power look like when you, I mean, different in a sorority, because for me it was, I talk shit with the sisters that I live with and then we influence the vote when it comes to a chapter meeting versus being on the executive board and getting to just make those decisions. So in a weird way, not being in positions of leadership kind of helped me understand how do I still have influence if nobody's looking to me for it? Like, how do I make space for myself in those ways? Um, which required, I think, a lot more self-confidence because it takes a different level of self-efficacy to be able to say, yeah, I've got power if I don't have a fancy name tag or if I'm not sitting at the front of the room in a meeting, so. Yeah, something that other people tell you rather than feeling it in, in your own body. And I think even as I started teaching for the first time on my own, I still didn't see myself as a teacher until like the third or fourth week when I could look around and see that like what I had to offer and what I was doing in my own style uh, was valid and was working. And the having that click for me made me realize just how many unnecessary barriers that there were for people to, to be seen in the ways that they, they can contribute. So 
I think all of that kind of came in to our work on this chapter and it was hard to narrow it down because there's just so much and we really wanted to do right by um, our communities as much as possible, but you know, it's a start. Uh, I think you said it right on. It's a start to a conversation that has been lacking for eternity. And so I think one of the first things that you do in the chapter is you provide a disclaimer, which is saying like, and that is amazing, you know, amazing and thoughtful and saying like, these are our perspectives and we're not speaking for all Asian Americans. And so, and so I thought that is powerful in itself. And so listeners, you're hearing just these snippets. That's why you have to read this chapter because it, as V had mentioned every time, every draft, I was like, Oh, Oh, right. I had those bubble captions of, wow, so much to learn. So thank you for sharing that. Thinking about not only lived experiences, but is there anything from outside of leadership, education, scholarship, you know, practice that informs your thinking and your approach to this work? I don't know if this is exactly outside of leadership. I think it should not be, but sometimes it's the Venn diagram does not totally overlap, but I think a lot of um, obviously critical race theory, but for me, it's a lot of anti-capitalist narratives too, and thinking about dismantling systems of inequality through the lens of capitalism and power and privilege in society through the workforce um, and being a newer professional. I've been in my professional role now for a year and a half, feels way longer than that, um, but kind of being new and looking at people I work with who have been in the game way longer and seeing things that they're okay with um, versus things that I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's really empowering our students to go create a good change in the workforce. Or how do I talk to the students that I work with to get them to realize just because this is a job, so I supervise orientation leaders, so we do pay them, um, just because it's a job doesn't mean you have to do everything I say or agree with everything I say and kind of teaching those lessons for when they go into the workforce, how do they challenge some of those capitalist norms um, and see that through a lens of leadership? Yes, totally. And yeah, the neoliberalism of your, your worth is your, your economic value. I think that's so true. Um, that comes from a lot of scrolling on Instagram and TikTok and seeing a lot of public scholars talking about social justice issues and those conversations move so fast and they're very on the ground uh, compared to, you know, it takes time to do research and publish things. So it's a really interesting way to add much more lived experience narratives to what I understand. And then I also love seeing the metaphors for leadership everywhere. So sometimes that's popular culture, like let's look at Loki <laughs> and see what kind of leadership narratives are in there, right? Or um, honestly, I, I learned so much about leadership from music. I mentioned I was in acapella and that is my perfect metaphor for leadership and what it means to have everybody have a role that everybody comes together with their unique role and it's necessary to create something together. Um, I also learn a lot from plants and what it means to have mutually beneficial relationships with other plants and, and root systems and ways of growing. It's just such a cool lesson to learn from, you know, the beings that have been here longer than we have. Yeah, 
Yeah, those are really wonderful insights, I think. Val, you might be uh, pleased to know that in my leadership communications class, after we pass the deadline where students can drop, uh, I start talking to them about professionalism as an ism, like as a form of oppression. And some of them just like look at me like I have two heads, which is a really like wonderful moment, I think, for all of us in the class, because we go there and we do that kind of thing. Uh, Jessica, to your, to your uh, example, I might have to start using Loki as an example of how professionalism is a form of oppression, because we could really unpack the TVA if we wanted to <laughs> from that perspective. Um, so I'll come guest lecture in your classes and programs and you come to my classes and we'll, we'll, we'll have some interesting synergy uh, with those ideas. Um, speaking of putting these ideas into practice, um, how do you see your chapter as a piece of practical scholarship that could really be used in the real world to address the various crises that we see on our campuses? This is such a hard one, I think, because of imposter syndrome. I'm like, who's going to use what I wrote to do a real thing in the real world? Like, what? Um, so I appreciate you asking and forcing us to think that way. Um, and continually affirming that it is a good piece. So now that I appreciate that a lot, um, I think a lot of it is just raising awareness and knowing, like Jessica said, and Kathy affirmed, it is such a start to recognizing all of these things that have not been talked about for so long. Um, and then using that to do your own research from there. So we mention a lot of different API leaders throughout history that were definitely not highlighted in the ways that they should have been. Like, Yuri Kochiyama or Grace Lee Boggs, even Sandra Oh and more recent figures. And I think if we had the space, we totally would have expanded on all of those. But I really like the idea that educators can look at this, um, read this text, and know what to go research on their own. And I think if you're looking for my tips to infuse this in your conversations with your students, it's bringing up these people that you learn about and asking them like, oh, have you heard of this person? Or I read this documentary about this person. I've got a book. Do you want me to loan it to you? I found that sharing media with students today is really, really effective because you're not lecturing at them about the things. Instead, they get to read it, make meaning of it. And then you get to have a conversation where you bounce ideas off of them, they bounce ideas off of you. And that to me has been really helpful in seeing how do my students think about these leaders that weren't historically seen as leaders? Or what did they know that I don't know based on the people that they're friends with or um, the movies that they're watching, especially now with a lot of K-pop becoming bigger or Korean dramas that people are watching. Like, I think it's really exciting to hear my students talk about what they're seeing in those forms of media and then going from that to do my own research. Yeah, I think there's like so many facets to this. And one, of course, is just like learning the history. And I think there's so many things that we uncovered when we were researching for this that blew my mind about what has not been highlighted at all in any of the history that I've learned. And then I think the other thing that is really hard is to really crack open your own assumptions about your actual practice, because there's so many indirect messages that we give to people in our actions, our rewards, our, re our reactions. And I know that for me, I grew up in a very predominantly white area. It was my parents like hope that we would be able to make something of ourselves that, you know, based on what they sacrificed and gave to us. And so there's part of it that like I navigated the system by my proximity to whiteness and conforming to some of those norms to get to where I am today. And I look back and 
you know, white supremacy is not just white bodies. It's also all of these assumptions that I was replicating in some of my classes. And we talk a lot about presence and the different skill sets that we are encouraging students to cultivate. And I think many years ago, I was talking to a student and giving him some feedback like, hey, you know, you're doing a great job. I think what I would love to see you do is to really, you know, take initiative in your project group and, and kind of set the agendas for your next session. And he, he looks at me and he's like, he just dead ass in, my, in the eyes. He was like, Jessica, I, <laughs> I am not Michael Jordan. I am a Dennis Rodman. And I was like, what? <laughs> he says, I work really hard to set up my teammates for the winning shot. And I'm very good at it. This is my spot. And it was a huge clicking moment for me just to, to, to remind me of how I was only looking at leadership qualities from such a narrow lens and narrow position. And since then really trying to expand what our rubrics are highlighting about behaviors that de deserve to be rewarded. So a lot of conversations to help uh, expand that by highlighting the listening, the relationship building, the people who take time to set the agenda, who come up with fun questions for people to bond and make the experience better. And I think uh, seeing that modeled in our like processes helps slowly take that apart and break it open a little bit more. And I think it's telling the students that are working with other students that that's what they're being graded on or evaluated on, right? Like making it clear to them that being the loudest voice in the room is not gonna win you points here. Like, what does it mean to be part of a team? And I think about that supervising student leaders in a different way where you don't get a grade at the end of this experience, but you wanna come away from this feeling like you did a good job and feeling like your teammates see you as a teammate too. So really emphasizing not a specific rubric because it's not in the class, but kind of those performance indicators and reminding them that there are, in my case, there are 18 of you. So all of you have got to learn to share the mic and that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for great ideas from Val every single time. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I have Wonder Ones and I remember this um, international Asian woman was talking to me about how she took the class because she wanted to improve her leadership skills. And she's like, you know, I'm, I'm getting there. And I feel like I need to just cry uh, talking about this because I just looked at her and I'm like, you are already doing it. You are, you do it every day. And, and just naming some of those behaviors back to her, she couldn't believe that that's, that could be leadership. And um, it'll take a, a while for that to be valued just as much as the dominant ideas of what leadership looks like, but I just think everybody should, should leave programs understanding what their gifts are and what their unique contributions can be and have that be validated. So I think that's, that's really what I see, you know, shipping the mindset being really about is just breaking that wide open and pushing forward. Yeah, I, I appreciate the notions of gifts and how are we doing that and how are we making sure and cultivating communities that can do that for each other. So it's not like value had mentioned, you know, you supervise 18 and while you would love to do that for everyone, it's how are we cultivating communities so we can do that for each other. I mean, imagine how navigating not only leadership learning 
but just navigating life would be if we could really do that in a day-to-day space. Um, and that goes back to that self-care I was talking about in the very beginning, right? How are we doing that for each other and for ourselves even to allow for those to be highlighted and accept those? Yeah. Oh, powerful. So thank you for, for sharing that. And, and this gets me to think about, so where do you see this work going next? Because this is just the beginning, as we had said, um, and how, it took time to set up for you all to be in a space to, to share that, but where do you see this or how do you hope you and others will be able to move these ideas forward? I always start with conversations and just finding people who are similar and different. And I think that is something that I'm finding more opportunities to do in professional associations or through social media is finding other Asian American educators um, to be able to talk to and learn from and just bounce ideas off of, or just to sit in community with and have that moment of, oh, that's happened to you too. Or yeah, my mom did that too growing up or my dad jokes like that all the time. And I think that really widens my perspective because Jessica and I talked about this in our chapter. We recognize we're two cis female children of immigrants that are both from East and Southeast Asian backgrounds. So we were not capturing the Pacific Islander perspective, the male Asian perspective, Desi Americans, right? And I think I'm getting a lot of that just in conversation with others, as well as looking for opportunities to read fiction books that are featuring different um, characters or watching movies and other media from that. And then bringing that again into conversations that I'm having with colleagues or as I'm building a program, making sure that I'm leaning back on conversations that I've had. Also lots of like running it by those people that I have found to be in community with of, hey, I built this program. Does this make sense for all students? Does this make sense from your perspective there too? So I think it's really finding those people who have similar experiences, but still different perspectives to you to both support and challenge you. Because sometimes you need somebody just to say, yeah, that's a really good job because especially working in predominantly white spaces, sometimes my coworkers aren't always gonna say that to me. So sometimes I need to look to Jessica or another Asian colleague to look at me and say, no, I agree with you on that, um, to give me that confidence to push forward and to kind of push the boundaries in those other spaces. I think what is so powerful about each of us is that we have the ability to affirm or deny those gifts in other people. And, and I hope that by continuing to, to read these things and take more media in that's different than the ones that you normally I, I hope that that allows people to affirm more of these other values, other experiences as important for, you know, leadership positions and start affirming more Asian folks to even come up the pipeline for leadership education itself. You know, that, that pipeline starts so early and, you know, similar to, to Val, like, having people not affirm like, yeah, we see the work that you're doing. We see what you're contributing. I just hope for more of that to shift and, and feeling like more people are being honored for those, those gifts. And I think spreading awareness, especially with my coworkers or colleagues also helps me build trust that if I'm not in a room, they understand my perspective enough to bring it to the table. Um, So I think for white folks or non-Asian folks, it's having those conversations and proving that you deserve that trust. Um, 
for your coworkers to know, like even if they're not in a space that their ideas are being represented, because I think that was a main theme of our chapter is how often is our story, our perspective left out. Um, so if folks can do things to learn on their own and then have conversations to show like, yeah, I get it, or I don't totally get it. Can you differently explain this to me? So when I'm in a space and I have to talk about it, I can and I feel prepared and knowledgeable to do so. Yeah. And I also think what we ran into was feeling like because we were always used to being in between or overlooked, especially in the spectrum of race conversations, I think a lot of times, at least I would always be like, oh, like we we should focus on black lives because of just how egregious some of the history is there, um, black and native lives. And I think what I have kind of learned, especially over the last two years uh, with the COVID um, pandemic and how that shone a light on the anti-Asian sentiment was that like our, our stuff, we shouldn't com compare it. It's all valid. It's all bad. And we should, we should still address all of it. <laughs> um, and I think that took a lot, a while for me to really get around it to, because I was so used to kind of diminishing the importance of our our history and our situation because oh, other people have it worse, you know? And I think that was one of the more healing parts of working with Val on this chapter. Because so much of that comes from, I think the Asian immigrant experience is, well, we're here. Like, what do you have to complain about? Or even hearing from my dad sometimes of my experience in this refugee camp, which yes, so valid dad. And things aren't great for me right now either. So. Like how, like Jessica said, how do you get away from that comparison? And I think a big thing for me was reminding myself, I'm allowed to care about more than one thing. And just because I'm not putting all of my energy into all of the things I care about, doesn't mean I've forgotten about some of those issues, right? Like just because right now I'm thinking about stop Asian hate doesn't mean that I've stopped caring about Black Lives Matter. Um, and knowing that other people aren't looking at me and thinking that. Because right, I think so much of like how I'm engaging in the world makes as a leadership educator is like, what are my students seeing when they look at me? And I never want them to think that I'm not seeing them. Um, and sometimes I used to feel like focusing on Asian issues would make my non-Asian students think like, oh, she only cares about her issues. Right. So breaking a lot of that down helped me feel more confident in lots of those things. Yes, all oppression is shitty and we should deal with it. <laughs> and nobody wins the oppression Olympics, right? Just because one group of people suffers doesn't mean that another group's suffering is not valid, right? We can all be valid in our suffering, even though it looks it looks different. Um, I, uh, I don't know how many of you know this, but recently Illinois became the first state to mandate Asian American history to be taught in the public school system. And so when I think about where this work is going next, I think about what it's going to mean for generations of young people who learn Asian history before they even come to higher education in Illinois, um, both for students of that background and students from outside of that background. Um, so I, I think about that as protective for the future. So as you think about what protects your hope for the future of this work, for the future of socially just leadership education, what, what comes to mind for you?
I remember seeing Angela Davis and she talked about how you can celebrate and critique at the same time. And for a while, you know, you get, once you start seeing it, you can't stop. And then you feel like that's all you can see. And being able to look at where things are moving and what where progress is happening and seeing the joys of what solidarity looks like and um, just knowing that people are making these moves, more people are becoming aware, whether it is from social media or otherwise. Um, and I mean, representation does, does matter. And then hopefully what follows is, you know, some cultural shifts as well. I think what gives me good energy is seeing kind of both ends of the spectrum in terms of generations who are learning and changing their perspectives or shifting the mindset and challenging the narrative in all of those ways. Um, you see lots of young folks who we have the opportunity opportunity to be connected to and learn from through social media and being on TikTok and seeing what they have to share. But on the flip side of that, there's 70, 80, 90 year olds that are also on TikTok and they're sharing what they've learned. And I think it's really comforting and gives me hope to know that it's not, we're not just relying on future generations. We can also rely on people who have been around for a while and have influence in their crusty older circles to be able to shift the narrative there, right? Instead of just the young edgy kids. Um, and I think that makes me feel really excited that we're not all just looking at Gen Z to fix things because they have not been dealt an easy hand. So it feels unfair to say, welcome to this shit show that we've created, your turn to fix it. Like, I think it gives me really good energy and hope to see that older generations and people who actually are in positions of power because they're not 15 to 20 years old um, who have like social capital and all of those things and navigational capital can actually help move them forward um, and pave a way for those younger trailblazers to actually make the differences that they want. Yeah. Oh, thank you both so much. I mean, honestly, conversations like this gives me hope that we can continue to um, amplify thoughts. And so thank you both, Val and Jessica, for giving your time, your energy, your stories, and just yourselves to this work and the conversation. It's, it's appreciated. So just really grateful to be part of this. Yeah. Same, same, same. Cannot thank y'all enough for inviting us into this book and this podcast and all these conversations. Please join us next time on Real Leadership for Real People, where we continue to explore socially just and culturally relevant leadership learning. Until then, keep it real out there.